Did a Russian drone cross into NATO territory? NATO's collective defense commitment means it considers an attack on one ally to be an attack on all allies. Plus, is Russia looking for new soldiers in Cuba? They said that they have uncovered a human trafficking ring aimed to recruiting Cubans to fight for Russia uh, in its war in Ukraine. Um, according to what they said, uh, they, could, they could be um, Cubans that are in Russia and with the promise of getting citizenship in Russia. And later in the program, Vladimir Putin and Recep Tayyip Erdogan wrap up talks in Sochi and a Russian helicopter pilot defects to Ukraine. Today is Tuesday, September 5th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Steve Karish in Washington. Putin to meet with Kim Jong-un? Well, perhaps. We'll learn more shortly. We begin, though, with what could be a turning point in the war. Ukrainian authorities say that during an attack on a port along the Danube River on Sunday night, Russian drones exploded in Romania, a NATO country. Reuters' Lauren Anthony has more. Russian drones hit a Ukrainian port across the Danube River overnight, sending warehouses and production buildings up in flames. But Ukraine said on Monday those strikes also detonated on the territory of NATO member Romania, something Bucharest says it categorically denies. It's a rare report of stray weapons from the war in Ukraine hitting a neighbouring member of the Western Military Alliance. Reuters could not independently verify either account. Moscow has conducted long-range airstrikes on targets in Ukraine since the start of its invasion last year. Since Moscow abandoned a deal that lifted a Russian blockade of Ukraine's Black Sea ports in July, it has repeatedly struck Ukrainian river ports that lie across the Danube from Romania. NATO's collective defence commitment means it considers an attack on one ally to be an attack on all allies. One Ukrainian lawmaker told Ukrainian television she believes the Romanian denial could be NATO attempting to prevent a slide into direct war with Russia. That's Lauren Anthony of Reuters reporting for us today. Now, I reached out to NATO for comment on the situation. They told me they had nothing to add and reminded me that the Romanian Ministry of Defense has denied the Ukrainian reports. In what's being described as a sign of Russia's desperation and North Korea's opportunism, the New York Times is reporting that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un will travel to Russia to meet with Vladimir Putin later this month. Charles de Ledesma has more. North Korea's Kim Jong-un may meet with Vladimir Putin in Russia. A U.S. official says Kim Jong-un may travel to Russia this month to meet with President Vladimir Putin as the Kremlin tries to acquire military equipment for use in its war in Ukraine. The official was not authorized to address the matter publicly and spoke to the AP on condition of anonymity. National Security Council spokeswoman Adrienne Watson has noted that Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu traveled to Pyongyang recently and tried to persuade North Korea to sell artillery ammunition to Russia. Watson added the U.S. has information that Kim expects these discussions to continue to include leader-level diplomatic engagement in Russia. I'm Charles de Ledesma. Cuba said on Monday it uncovered a human trafficking network meant to recruit its citizens to fight on behalf of Russia in Ukraine. 
The Cuban Foreign Ministry said in a statement it was working to dismantle the Russia-based network, which worked to recruit both Cubans living in Russia and in Cuba. The Foreign Ministry said Cuba has begun criminal proceedings against those involved. Cuba said that it's not part of the war in Ukraine and that it will take action against anyone who participates in human trafficking for the purposes of recruiting Cuban citizens to use arms against any country. There was no immediate comment from the Russian government. Celia Mendoza of VOA's Latin American division joins me to discuss the statement by Cuban Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez. Yes, that actually was in a statement made um, about um, 13 hours ago as of right now, and it was made by the Foreign Minister of Cuba, Bruno Rodriguez. Um, he was very specific about what they were um, trying to denounce. Uh, they said that they have uncovered a human trafficking ring aimed to recruiting Cubans to fight for Russia uh, in its war in Ukraine. Um, according to what they said, uh, they, could, they could be um, Cubans that are in Russia and with the promise of getting citizenship in Russia if they fight for uh, Russia in Ukraine. Um, also, the foreign minister uh, was specifying that um, they are allies of Russia, but at the same time, they're not supporting um, the war and they're not um, behind anything that has to do with the war. So um, right now, we know that they have stated that they will act decisively against those who engage in human trafficking with the aim of recruiting Cuban citizens to bear arms in any country. That's part of what is read on that statement. Um, that was published on uh, Twitter, uh, now known as X. Um, and he added that the force of the law to counter attempts to recruit its citizens will be applied. And, and that is important, um, just trying to figure out, because we know that Cuba and Russia have had ties for a long, long time. Uh, but Cuba is marking um, a, a very, very strict line here, um, especially because of their citizens. So this isn't just simple recruitment. The Cubans are alleging human trafficking. Do we know... Uh, what kind of methods the Russians are using to try to bring those Cuban or Cubans to become soldiers? That is something that we don't have clear yet. Uh, the uh, statement does not go into details, uh, but uh, what um, they're trying to um, at least present in the statement is how um, some Cubans had been incorporated um, and being moved from one place to another. And that's the reason probably why they're talking about human trafficking. Um, they have not been given more details about the subject. And that's something that we're working to try to figure out with the authorities in Cuba. Now, you mentioned earlier that Cuba and Russia generally have a pretty good relationship. Did this come as a surprise? Uh, yes, actually, it did. Um, we know that um, for years, they had a, a, not only Russia had helped Cuba after Fidel Castro took over the island, um, they had military ships in the um, on the Cuban waters, Russians' military um, ships are there. Um, they have exchanges of uh, education. They also have exchanges of like med doctors. We know that a lot of Cubans actually live in Russia. They have learned the language. Um, and that's one of the things that it, it specifies that if Cubans live in there, they might be in ties or trying to be recruited uh, to try to give them more benefits. Um, but also he 
it, it, this is very clear. The Cuban Foreign Ministry did not specify who was behind the actual operation. Um, so, but that's part of the, the reasoning that it, that is behind is something else that it might um, happening. We don't know behind the scenes if the conversations have gone through, uh, but definitely it, we know that Russia is making efforts to get more uh, fighters as uh, the war keeps continuing. Okay, my, my last question for you. I know that uh, sometimes information is hard to get out of Cuba. Government reaction aside, official reaction aside, um, has there been any public reaction from regular people who might face this kind of recruitment or trafficking from the people in Cuba? So far, we have not heard a lot about the subject. Um, however, the fact that the foreign minister uh, Bruno Rodriguez made a public statement means that they wanted it disseminated and then it will be uh, presented to Cuban people in Cuba. Um, so we're waiting to see some of the reactions. We know that Cubans do not agree with this type of recruitment, um, that they're very, um, in, in general, people that when they move to other countries, they try to join the United States as a big example of how Cubans had joined into their society. Uh, but they're not known to be... Um, um, in, in the sense of people that come and just go to war uh, against other um, countries. And that's something that Cubans are very proud of. But the fact that Bruno Rodriguez made a public statement and uh, a social media uh, shows that the government wants to make sure the Cubans know about it, that they are informed about this particular subject, and that they want to send a message to Russia and those that might be involved on the recruitment. Silly Mendoza, a reporter with VOA's Latin American division. Ms. Mendoza, thanks for your time. Thanks for your reporting on the subject. Thank you. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Steve Karish. <laughs> Kiev says that a Russian helicopter pilot has defected, bringing his helicopter with him to Ukrainian territory. I'm joined by Anna Chernikova in Kyiv for the latest. Uh, yes, uh, actually, this is a story uh, that is kind of evolving uh, since uh, since August uh, 23rd. Uh, and uh, today, uh, finally, uh, there is a so certain resolution of this, of this story. And now we can actually talk about details. So what happened is that on the... On August 23rd, uh, it was information provided by the Ukrainian uh, officials, uh, including uh, Ukrainian intelligence, about, uh, about Russian pilot who uh, basically came to the territory of Ukraine, uh, bringing helicopter with him uh, and two uh, and additional two members of the team. Later on, it was confirmed by the Ukrainian intelligence that this was actually uh, a special operation by Ukrainian uh, intelligence forces. And uh, uh, today, uh, the, this Russian pilot um, had a press conference in Kyiv. What we found out from this press conference that uh, that it was an operation uh, that was uh, six months in preparation by the Ukrainian side, uh, Ukrainian intelligence uh, and this Russian pilot who decided, as he said, to not be involved in this war, uh, which he uh, which he is not supporting, apparently, again, according to his comments at the press conference. And he agreed to 
basically uh, complete this operation, uh, bringing a helicopter from the territory of Russia to Ukraine and getting from from the Ukrainian authorities, getting all the needed uh, support. Now he confirms that his family is also in Ukraine and they are safe. Uh, and, uh, well, apparently he was granted certain uh, certain financial Mm, award as well for this operation. Uh, what we what we also know that this helicopter was bringing cer- a certain ammunition on board, and this ammunition is also now uh, in Ukraine. So the pilot defected. I'm sure he had a lot of useful information for the Ukrainian intelligence services. Do we know what kind of information he was able to provide? Uh, definitely, he had. However, uh, this is something which is not. Uh, discussed uh, publicly uh, at this point, and uh, apparently, uh, apparently, we if even if we we will get a certain confirmation on that, uh, it will happen uh, a bit later on. Uh, at least this is uh, how it usually happens with uh, Ukrainian intelligence. And the last topic, uh, Anna, that I would like to go over is that Ukraine is adapting a domestically produced anti-ship missile for long-range strikes within Russia. Um, How are they doing this? Basically, what we're talking about here is that uh, apparently Ukraine is using its own Neptune missiles, which are usually used for marine purposes uh, and for the battles on the sea uh, in order to the uh, Ukraine modernizes missiles and uh, use it for uh, land operations and land attacks. So uh, experts also believe that uh, this modernization procedure uh, which Kiev is uh, is implementing at this point is quite successful according to the results uh, that we can see from uh, from these attacks. And uh, also uh, experts believe that Ukraine uh, only use this their own uh, um, missiles for these attacks, not those which were provided by the by the allies. This is important uh, for Ukraine, of course, to uh, to actually have this confirmation because there are a lot of talk that actually Ukraine is managing to uh, produce certain amount or to complete production uh, of certain amount of such missiles during war, which is extremely difficult. And we'll leave it there for today. Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. Anna, as always, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Steve. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said that he thought it would soon be possible to revive the stalled Black Sea grain deal talks that helped get Ukrainian grain to world markets after talks on Monday with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Reuters' Francis McGuire reports. There was movement on the stalled Black Sea grain deal Monday. It came during a meeting in Russia between Vladimir Putin and Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan. After their first face-to-face meeting since last year, the Turkish president said he thought it would soon be possible to revive the agreement that helped get Ukrainian grain to market and eased a global food crisis. In this context, we prepared a package containing new suggestions in consultation with the United Nations. I think it's possible to get results with this new process. As Turkey, we believe that we will hopefully reach a solution that will meet expectations in a short time. 
Russia quit the deal in July, a year after it was brokered by the UN and Turkey. Moscow complained its own food and fertilizer exports faced obstacles and claimed that not enough Ukrainian grain was going to countries in need. Erdogan played a key role in convincing Putin to stick with the deal before. Putin said Monday the West was still restricting Russian agricultural exports and Russia would be ready to return to it when all agreements relevant to the accord are fulfilled. I would like to reiterate our principled position. We will be ready to consider the possibility of reanimating the grain deal. I once again told the President about this today. And we will do this as soon as all the agreements on lifting restrictions on the export of Russian agricultural products, which are recorded in it, are fully implemented. Russia and Ukraine are two of the world's key agricultural producers. Moscow has blockaded Ukrainian Black Sea ports since it invaded its neighbour. It's also threatened to treat all vessels as potential military targets after pulling out of the UN-backed deal. And ahead of Monday's talks, Ukrainian officials said Russia launched an overnight air attack on one of their major grain exporting ports. Putin has said before his country could return to the deal if the West fulfills a separate agreement made with the UN to facilitate Russian food and fertilizer exports. These Russian exports are not subject to Western sanctions imposed after the invasion. But Moscow has said restrictions on payments, logistics and insurance have hindered shipments. Reuters' Francis McGuire with that report. And finally today, as we heard in our previous show, Ukraine will be getting a new defense minister soon following the exit of Alexei Reznikov. For a look at the requirements and expectations of the job, VOA's Eastern Europe bureau chief, Miroslava Gungadze, spoke with Andriy Zagorodnyuk. He was defense minister from 2019 to 2020. So, uh, Andrei, um, you have been a minister of, um, of um, defense and uh, obviously you are the, one of the most knowledgeable experts in Ukrainian defense. What would be the priorities for, for the new uh, minister? The key question which every minister of defense has to answer, uh, particularly in the times of the war, is how to win the war. So essentially, the strategy, the policy, everything related to the combined efforts of all government organizations towards the winning of the war is what Ministry of Defense have to take care about. So they need to have a very clear vision. What are we going to do? Uh, how, when, uh, what is going to cost? What type of resources uh, we need? And provide all that to the extent possible. So that's the priority number one. Uh, priority number two is to provide the technologies uh, which will win the war, because this war is highly technological. We're missing lots of different types of equipment, and uh, I'm not even talking about F-16s, which is obvious, but also we're talking about absolutely record volume of landmines we're currently facing in the, in, in the areas of counteroffensive. We need uh, newer technologies to deal with that we need all kinds of equipment we need ammunition and so on so all that uh, is either available somewhere or it needs to be developed or it needs to be produced in ukraine or it needs to be bought or received as a as a military aid uh, and all that minister of defense decides how we're going to get it and they provide it to our armed forces so that's the second one the third one would be the uh, resources of course so the uh, defense resources means all assets all 
all resources, uh, material, monetary, people uh, um, like, you know, intellectual and so on, which can work for the war, for the war effort, for the victory. So that means, first of all, of course, the budgets and the, the understanding how are we going to survive the war effort, which is extremely expensive. As Eznikov said, every day costs us around 100 million, and this is just direct costs. And uh, we need to plan this. Uh, the government needs to provide a proper frameworks. They need to understand where they're going to get this money. And then, of course, the distribution of the resources means that it needs to be distributed in a proper way. Uh, and uh, and the, the ministry has to look after the uh, practices, uh, procurement practices, uh, distribution practices, allocation practices, and so on. So they need to look after all that. That would I would say these are keys. Andrei, um, the Ukraine is in the middle of counteroffensive. Uh, yes, there were a lot of uh, questions to Mr. Reznikov and the procurement process in in the ministry. However, do you think it's a good time right now to change the minister? And what would you say about uh, Mr. Omerov's ability to uh, to fulfill all this um, all these requirements and and goals? Reslava, I cannot tell you about the, whether it's a good time or not. Reznikov did a great job uh, at uh, uh, securing international support. Uh, that will go into his legacy. But then the rest is the decisions of the president, and it would be incorrect for me to comment on this. What do you, how would, what did you say about uh, Mr. Omerov's um, uh, abilities to, uh, to, uh, to, to, be, to be more successful? Mr. Romero was well known as the as the former businessman. He is well known as the active member of parliament, uh, very active on diplomatic front. Um, so we sincerely wish him um, success in this. And uh, of course, uh, the rest of this Ukrainian society needs to help. And obviously, this is extremely challenging task because uh, this is nobody, nobody did this in the history of uh, Europe since World War Two had to deal with the challenges like that. So, so it's extremely, extremely difficult job, uh, more more difficult than probably any other. And uh, one more last question uh, about Ukrainian counteroffensive. There is a lot of discussion about the progress on the, on the battlefield. How are you tracking the progress? And can we uh, say today that Ukraine is um, steadily moving forward? Yes, we can absolutely say that Ukraine is steadily moving forward. Uh, the people who criticize usually are very far from the front. Because uh, people who are closer to the front or close to the people on the front, they understand what type of challenges we deal with. And these are challenges of absolutely unprecedented nature, particularly with minefields and with the, with the type of the terrain and generally the, uh, the operational and tactical environment there. So uh, the progress uh, cannot happen according to schedules or some kind of a plans, particularly developed uh, some time ago. I mean, uh, every plan is developed and then the reality hits the plan and then, and then the armed forces adjusting to this reality. And that's obvious. And actually, most of the generals which I have spoken to and which are commenting this, like, I mean, Western generals, they're very realistic about this and they understand that the, uh, the scheduling for, on, for, for, the, for, the, for the operations like that is a, a very conditional. Yeah. So that's why I, I suggest that our observers are just 
tracking the progress. They see that um, forces are, are trying extremely hard and they are um, making the uh, acquisitions on an almost daily basis. But it's going, yes, it's going difficult because it's an extremely difficult war. But uh, I, I categorically deny crit- criticism that it's not happening fast and so on. I think these are highly theoretical and, uh, um, and uh, very distant from the actual reality. VOA's Miroslava Gongadze speaking with former Defense Minister of Ukraine, Andriy Zagorodnyuk. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day. Visit us online at voanews.com and on social media be sure to follow VOA News. On behalf of everyone at VOA, thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Karish. This is the voice of America. Washington, Papa, Zip, DC.